Okay, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and get started. Uh, as you guys know, oh, a lot of visiting. It's good. It's good. Okay. Uh, so as you guys know, all summer, we have been, oh, okay. We have been walking through the Apostles' Creed. And if, if the Apostles' Creed is something that is new to you, uh, don't worry, it is not some cheesy Christian cover band that sings, Can You Take Me Higher? That's not what we're talking about when we talk about the Apostles' Creed. A creed, uh, a creed is a statement of belief. And we all have creeds that we live by in our lives, whether it's as short as you do you, right? Or as long, as formal as the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? that all men are created equal, that's a, that, that preamble, that's a, that's a creed. It says something about what we believe or aspire to believe, who we aspire to be. And as Christians, we have uh, our, own, our own creeds, statements of faith. Uh, and these, these statements of faith, they're, they're written out, they're documented, and what's so beneficial about that is it gives us something firm to hold on to, to look at, to push on, to, to pull on, to ask questions about, to allow us to compare what we believe to Scripture. That's what creeds do. They're, uh, they're tools for teaching us about the basics of the Christian faith. And the Apostles' Creed, the creed that we've been in all summer, is this creed that originated way back in the second century. So it's a very, a very early statement of what the church found to be the core kind of doctrines uh, or the, the bedrock of what it meant to follow Jesus. And it was called the Apostles' Creed because it was based on the apostolic teaching, the teaching of the apostles. And so this summer, we've been, we've been studying it. We've been recognizing that we're joined to that same great cloud of witnesses, that, that what the church believed all the way back in the first century and the second century that they were confessing, that's the same faith that we confess today. That the core of the Christian message has stayed the same. We're looking at what we would call kind of the load-bearing walls of the Christian faith. And so we talked about, we're going to put up a slide here, the first part of the creed. Uh, this is where we spent time the first two weeks. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Right, so we're here talking about uh, God the Father. And then go ahead and go to the next slide. Then we move into the section on I believe in Jesus Christ. We spent several weeks, weeks kind of unpacking this. Who is Jesus? Uh, what, what are the most significant aspects of his work and what do they mean for us? So we have this slide and there's the next slide. Jesus gets the most ink here in the Apostles' Creed. And then go click over one more. And this is where we are today. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We're not doing all that today, don't worry. Today, we are focusing on I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about who, who he is, wh why he's been sent to us, and what he does when he takes up his home in us. So if you're a note taker, that's it. Who, why, and what. That's what we're talking about this morning. So I'm going to invite Joanna Cole to come up. Joanna is going to read our scripture this morning. It's out of John 14. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up uh, and read from there. It'll also be up on the screen if you want to follow along. This is John 14, 15 through 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while, while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Thanks, Joanna. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you desire and delight to speak to us. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you have sent to be in us, uh, to dwell with us, to make your home with us. Lord, we pray that you would be moving through him in our hearts this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start off talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, it's appropriate to ask, who, who is he? And we ask who he is instead of what is he? Because the Holy Spirit is not a what, he's, he's a person. And that's a little bit more shadowy as you read in the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks about the Spirit of God, the, the ruah, like the breath or the wind, the power of God. It's a little bit unclear as to what the Spirit of God is, who he is in the Old Testament. But then, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes into much sharper focus. And what we see is that the Holy Spirit is not some Christian version of the force, right? It's not something that we channel on our own to kind of fit our own means or get us to our own goals. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. And we say person, uh, what I mean by that is it's not that he's a human, Right? but that he's uh, an individual being. And we see that in verse 26 of our passage this morning. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So this is Jesus speaking, and what he says is that uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent by the Father in his name, in Jesus' name. And so we see that the Holy Spirit then is distinct from God the Father and is distinct from Christ the Son. He's his own person, separate from the Father, separate from the Son. But there's more that we can say about the Holy Spirit from this passage, about who he is. We see in verse 16, Jesus promises his disciples, he says, I'm going to send you another helper. The word another there is very interesting. It implies that there's already a helper with them, right? And that helper was Jesus. He, Jesus was talking about himself. But what he's saying is, don't worry, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send another helper to be with you. And this tells us a lot about who the Holy Spirit is. So or, uh, two weeks ago, uh, there, was a, there was water coming through the roof of my house. 
and uh, or I guess through the ceiling. It turned out our HVAC had a leak in it, so that was obviously very distressing. And we called uh, all over trying to figure out who can we get to come to our house, right, to take care of this problem. So I want you to imagine that someone said, yes, I will be there tomorrow. You're like, this is great news. But then imagine I get a call and the person says, oh, I can't come actually, I'm booked up, but don't worry, I will send you someone else to help you. Like, great, I just need someone to help, right? That's, that's the focus. So imagine that this person shows up the next day, they go upstairs, they go, they're in our crawl space, they're derping around on the HVAC unit, they come downstairs and they say, hey, uh, I got some bad news. I have no idea what's going on. And I would say to that person, uh, why not, right? You're the HVAC technician. And what if the person said, well, uh, I'm just the accountant, but they, they said that the, the original person couldn't come, so they sent me to you instead. That, that's not what happened. Okay, I'm not trying to tell you that. I'm just asking you to imagine with me. Uh, if that had happened, I would be very upset, right? Why would you tell me you're sending me someone to help me who was not qualified to help me? It would be very distressing. When, when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to send someone to you who is just going to be just as helpful to you, if not more helpful to you, than I have been. That tells us about who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, I don't know about the, the tradition you grew up in. Uh, I've heard at different times the Holy Spirit called the Holy Ghost. And because of that, when I was growing up, I, I would kind of think of the Holy Spirit as... Um, as a Pokemon card with this one named Haunter, which was like a ghost-type Pokemon, right? That's how I thought of the Holy Ghost. Uh, that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not kind of some spooky being. No, this is, this is a, a person of the Godhead who is equal in power and dignity and worthy of our worship just as the Father, just as the Son. It's why at the end of the doxology we sing, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, because he's, he's a person who is equal in dignity, in power, worthy of our worship, just as the Father, just as the Son. You think about even uh, the song that we started with this morning, Grace Alone. It's a Trinitarian song. I don't know if you've noticed that. But each of the verses talks about the role that a different person in the Godhead plays in our salvation. It talks about first the father. I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I heard you call. That's the father. Then it talks about uh, how Jesus came to us, but, but Jesus, your face was set, the work of Christ. And then it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit, right? A head full of rocks, a heart full of stone, but spirit, you worked your will. That the Holy Spirit has an equal role to play in our, uh, in our lives as Christians, as the father and as the son. in this work that God is about of redeeming the world. And what Jesus tells to his disciples in verse 17 of our passage, he says to them, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, if you've been in church a while, the shock of that may have totally worn off for you. But what Jesus is telling us is that he desires to come and, and be so close to you that he would be in you. Why? Right? Why would God do that? Why would, the Holy, why would the Holy Spirit be sent to us to dwell in us like that? We see it in verse 
23 of this passage, kind of on the back half of the verse, Jesus promises his disciples, we will come to him, the Father and the Son. He says, we will come to him and we will make our home with him. That people who, Jesus is talking about people who follow him. And what he's saying is that the Father and the Son, that, that they together, we desire to make our home in our people. that God desires to dwell with his people, that God the Father desires to be with you, to be so close to you that he would be in you, that God the Son desires to be with you, to make his home with you. This, this is not uh, God on putting out a Craigslist ad looking for a roommate, right? He's not trying to find somebody to fill an empty room or to take a piece of the rent. He's not looking for someone to cohabitate and take up some of the chores. That's not what this is about. It's so much bigger than that. It's like what you hear people say when they get engaged, when they say uh, that we want to build a, build a life together, that they want to weave their lives together. That's the kind of language that God uses when he speaks about you. That he wants to take up his home. He wants to make a home. He wants to abide in you. Do you hear the intimacy there? The desire for familiarity, for closeness that God has for you? And he does that by making com uh, promises, committed, covenantal promises to say, I will come and I will make my home with you. That God desires to be with you. He doesn't, he doesn't just love you in some kind of technical sense of the term. That God likes you. His heart is warmed by his desire to be with you. Do you know what it's like to be desired by somebody? You connect with that at all? I can tell you what it's not like. Uh, it's not like this time in college that I asked someone out via Gchat, okay? Do you remember Gchat? Maybe you remember AOL Instant Messenger. It was like an upgraded version of that, uh, maybe a forerunner to Slack. I don't really use Slack, but uh, this was a person that I, was, you know, that I went to school with and was, and was interested in. I thought, you know, we're pretty good friends, so we're having a conversation like you do on, on Gchat. And there, you know, obviously there, there are moments where the conversation kind of dips and ebbs and flows, and I'm like, this is it. This is the time. So, I, you know, I, t I type. Hey, like, like you type, you know. Uh, do you, do you want to go out on a date sometime? Uh, and then there was one of those lulls in the conversation. And there, there was just no response. Literally ever, okay? Uh, at the end of the night when I was done doing my homework and I shut my computer, I had heard nothing. And the next day when we saw each other because we were friends, it was as if the message had never been sent. And to this day, um, that, I, that it just was never acknowledged. I, w <laughs> I even went back in my Gchat history last night to verify that this event occurred, and I thought I would read you some of the transcript, and unfortunately, or fortunately maybe, it has been deleted. So that was great. <laughs> that, was, that happened. Uh, that is what it is like to not be desired. <laughs> right? Have you ever experienced that? When you are hoping to connect with someone and that same person does not want to connect with you? Whether it's romantic, it can, just, it can even be with friends. It's heartbreaking. It's so sad. 
Because what we were created for as people is to be desired by someone who desires us. That is what you were made for. That when you, that, uh, right, the, the what we long for is that when we say to someone, um, can I be with you? Can I spend time with you? That the person that we're asking that to would say yes, because I want to spend time with you. That we are all longing for that sense of belonging, the intimacy, the familiarity that comes with that kind of relationship. And what this scripture is telling us is that the God who created you, the God that you were created to be in relationship with, that God desires to be in you and with you. In fact, that is, you could, you could say that the, the back half of that verse that we will come to him and make our home with him, that is the entire story of Scripture. The whole thing summed up. That God created, that God created you because he desired to be with you. That's the whole reason for our being, for this world existing. Is that God desired, he, he, he wanted to share himself with you, to delight and be delighted in by you. And that when sin entered the picture, it broke that relationship with God. And the entire story of the rest of Scripture is all about the work that God has been doing to make a dwelling with you again, with his people again. The whole thing. All the poetry, all the Proverbs, all the wisdom, all the stories, it's all about God's singular focus to come and dwell again with his people. And when you go all the way to the end of Scripture, all the way to the book of Revelation, the picture at the end of time is a new heavens and a new earth where we dwell together with God face to face always. That that is what your God wants with you. And as we wait for that day, what God promises is that even now, through the Holy Spirit, he has come and he has set up a forerunner of that home that's to come. He set that up in your heart even now. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you, to make God's home in your heart. That he is the means that God uses to come, the Father uses, the Son uses to come and to dwell in and among us. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit is is meeting our deepest desire as humans, this desire to belong, the, the desire to belong, the desire to be loved. And because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, what that means is that there is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing that once the Holy Spirit has taken up his home in you, he never moves out. There's no amount of darkness, there's no amount of doubt, there's no amount of sin that can ever separate you from the love of God that is in you because of the Holy Spirit being in you. 
That is the security that you have because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's why he's come. So what is he doing in there? He's coming to us. He's, He's made a home in us. That now we're dwelling with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, even now in our hearts, for, in, a, in, a, in all of the security, what is he continuing to do? We get a picture of it just a, a, a chapter or two later in John 16, 14. This is Jesus again speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the risen Christ. That's a helpful guardrail for us when we think about who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? He is always in our lives working to glorify Christ. As I was prepping for this week, I was reading uh, a book by this guy, Kevin DeYoung, and he talks about how the Holy Spirit gets way fewer shout-outs in the the scriptures than uh, the other persons of God. In terms of, like, by mention, he gets fewer mentions. But I want you to know, the Holy Spirit is not in heaven comparing his likes to the likes that the Father and Son get, okay? That's not what this is about, that the Holy Spirit delights to celebrate the work of Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit is always doing in us, that he is making us even more into the image of Christ. And in doing so, he's, he's making us who, more of who we were created to be. That him being in us to glorify Christ, that can sound so kind of uh, dry and theological. I want you to know that is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Okay, let's talk about why. In this passage that we're in this morning, two times, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. It, it's, it comes from this Greek word paraclete. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. And it's, it's no, kind of notoriously challenging to translate. You may have read it as the Holy Spirit is the counselor, the advocate, the comforter. And those things can kind of lead us in all kinds of different directions. It can make us think that the Holy Spirit is like the therapist who gives us really good advice or who kind of comes and strokes our heads and we're feeling sad. It's so much stronger than that. That paraclete has this idea that, that it's one who comes alongside. And there's a legal context for it that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's, he's fighting for us. That's, that's a part of, of the picture, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's, it's richer than that, that he's bringing to mind, even as it says in this passage, that he's the spirit of truth, that he's teaching us, that he's shaping us, that he's bringing things to remembrance in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is not your life coach helping you reach your goals. No, the Holy Spirit is is helping you. He's engaging you. He's strengthening you. He's encouraging you as you walk in, as you run the race that Christ has set before you, as you become who you were created to be. We talked about this last week, this theologian Joshua Butler who talks about how God's work in the earth is to get the hell out of earth. And, uh, and Joshua also says that what, that what God is doing is he's, he's working to get the hell out of us. Friends, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That when our hearts are hard against God, when they are set against God, what the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and he softens us and he shows us that the gospel is beautiful. 
but he turns our hearts towards it, towards it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. That after we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit is continually involved in our transformation. Again, making us more and more into the image of Jesus, into the people that we were created to become. In verse 23, this verse that we've been talking about, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. Right, that obedience is tied into this walk with Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit is doing that work of being obedient in you, in me. That's his work. That he teaches us to love the things that God loves. Right? When, you, when you have a desire to tell the truth instead of telling a lie, you know that is the Holy Spirit at work in you? That's a gift that God has, God has done that in your life. When being obedient is something that you say, oh, I, I want to do that. Yes, that's transformation, right? When you feel like there is a battle happening in you about the anger that you desire to pour out on the person across from you, but you're holding back from that, that holding back, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? When, you, when, when the last thing you want is to be patient, but you are fighting for patience, that's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. When you, have, when, when you are feeling tempted, there's this thing that I want to do, but I know that that is not what God would have me do, and you're fighting against that. And that fight, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When you love your enemies, when you offer forgiveness, when you see the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ as something that is good and something that you want to give to other people, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit as if it is uh, only the spectacular or the spontaneous, we limit the work of the Holy Spirit. We put him in a box. That he is always at work in us, making us more and more like Christ. When we only speak about the Holy Spirit as if he, when we speak about the Holy Spirit as if he only acts on our emotions, we're putting him in a box. He does do that, yes, and so much more, right? He's a teacher of truth. He's working in our minds, in our hearts, and in our wills all the time. Guys, what this means for us is that a change in your life is possible. Do you believe that? Do you believe that change is possible for you? not just for other people, right? We know that for other people. We can look at their stories, we can celebrate that, we can say that's good. But, but do you believe, do you have a hope that that's possible for you in your life? That the places in your life that you struggle, you think, Lord, is this ever gonna be different? Do you have hope there? What this tells us is that, what this passage tells us is that the Holy Spirit that he is always at work. Even in those places. The process may not feel magical. It may not happen in a moment. Unlikely that it will be an immediate change. In fact, it may be quite painful. If you've experienced any change in your life, you know that's true, right? 
But the presence of pain in those places that we desire change is an indicator that the change has begun. Because otherwise it wouldn't hurt. If nothing was changing, nothing would be hurting. The fact that you even want something different is an indicator that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. And when he has started that work, what he promises is that he will always bring it to completion. It's not dependent on your power or my power to make that change happen. It's dependent on his power that's powerfully at work in you, is what the scripture says. I've been thinking about what, is, what, is this, what does this look like as it's played out in our day-to-day lives? Have you guys seen the movie Coda? Can I get a hand? Does anyone, has anyone seen that movie? Okay, a few people. I think it won an Academy Award. Was it this year? It's like the second adult movie I've watched in the last year. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I will tell you that it really, as I was thinking about it this week, it had so much to teach me about what it looks like to have a helper. Coda is about this, uh, this young woman named Ruby. She's a senior in high school. And she is, uh, Coda stands for child of deaf adults. So she can hear, but both of her parents can't. And she has a brother, and he also uh, is deaf. So the movie opens uh, with her on a fishing boat with her father and her brother, because that's their family business. And she's working alongside them, just like they are, catching fish and doing fish things in the boat, you know. Uh, but then she goes to the radio. And, and this is where you, you get a glimpse of, of how necessary her help is for her family. Because her brother and her dad can't hear anything that's happening on the radio. So it's her responsibility to be alongside them, listening for what they need to hear and telling them what they need to hear when they can't hear it themselves. It's a way that she's constantly defending them, that she's with them, that she's speaking for them and on their behalf. As the movie unfolds, you even see this kind of legal courtroom scene where her parents don't understand what's go- can't hear what's going on, and she's, she's speaking it to them and then speaking for them. She's a helper. She's alongside them. But then what we see as the movie unfolds is that, that Ruby uh, herself needs a helper. And it comes in the form of, of a mentor, of, of a teacher, of, of the choir teacher at her high school. That she, she joins the choir and she has no idea that she can sing. And he, when he hears her, he sees, you have a gift. But it's a gift that hasn't been developed at all. And what he tells her is, I want to come alongside you. I want to I help you uh, grow and develop. I want to help you become who you were created to be. And that's the role that he plays in her life. He, he brings uh, comfort and, and encouragement. He says, look at this gift, you want to celebrate it. But he also brings discipline. He says, hey, you, there are some things that you need to do to be able to nurture this gift and bring it to the, to the beauty that it, that it can be. So there's, there's discipline, there's confrontation, there's comfort, there's encouragement. All of that is a part of what this mentor brings into Ruby's life. He is even with her when she is essentially on trial. He's alongside, he's helping. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. He is alongside you, changing you, helping you become who God has created you to be. 
But what is true about kids is they, uh, they grow up, right? The point of Ruby's mentor is that he is going to get her to a point where then she leaves him and doesn't need him anymore. And that is how our world thinks about and teaches us to think about what it means to be mature. Is maturity in our lives is this place where we don't need any more help, right? Like, it's the place where you don't need your parents to pay your cell phone bill anymore, which I know they're still doing for half of the people in this room, right? It's okay. No shame. We're told that's what independence looks like, is you becoming, or that's what maturity looks like, is you becoming totally independent. I will tell you, uh, I do desire that for my children, for the record. Uh, That is not the way that the gospel speaks about maturity. That's not the way the scriptures would teach us to think about what it means to be mature. That actually, it's, it's the reverse, that what it means for you to mature in Christ is for you to become even more dependent on the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. That the mark of our maturity is not our lack of need, but our admission of our great need, our growing awareness of how much we need. The Holy Spirit speaking to us, coming alongside of us, helping us day in and day out. That's maturity. That God is not looking for the day when you leave home. He has come and he has made his home with you. And what he is constantly calling us toward is that we would come in more and more and more to the home he's already created inside of us. Not that we would leave it, that we would abide. That's our, that's, that's our prayer as a community, right? That we would be a people who are maturing into how, who God created us to be. But that's not about us becoming independent. It's, becoming, it's about us becoming more dependent on him. As we worship this morning, as we, as we uh, speak the Apostles' Creed together, uh, I'm going to pray for us that God would be doing that in our hearts even this morning. So pray with me. Father, we thank you uh, that you have not left us alone, that you have not abandoned us, Lord, that you have come to us, that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit, and that you have taken up a residence, Lord, in our hearts. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the fact that that is true when we are in you, regardless of how we may or may not feel this morning. God, as we, as we worship you together as a people, as we sing over and hear our friends singing over us, God, would you uh, be stirring our hearts to be in tune with what you are doing in us? Lord, the places that we feel hopeless about your work, Lord, would you open our eyes to the beauty of what you are doing? Lord, in the places that we're blind to it, would you open our eyes to it? Lord, would you draw us in? Would you show us, even this morning as we worship, how, are you, how you are inviting us to cooperate with the work that you are already doing in our hearts? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.